we've been kind of going through a little lesson about how we how we live life with God, which really touches every aspect of of our life. Uh, but tonight, I want to I want to read two stories that I kind of keep up with these things as it relates to end times. And uh, this is a story I found today. It says China urges the World Health Organization to let it run a global vaccine passport system. <laughs> so. Uh, Chinese Communist Party is urging the World Health Organization to let China build and run a global database for vaccine passports, documenting if every person on earth has received a Chinese corona vaccine. So uh, I want to show you that, and then I want to show you another one here, and, I, and, and there's a purpose in me reading these things. And then the other story that followed that up uh, was this one here. Um, here it is. Amazon expands payment by palm scan to more stores. So you kind of pair those two things together. Um, it is extremely important for every Christian to be uh, to be in prayer, to be in the Word, uh, to be in church. Um, and I believe, as uh, Brother Bodon says, uh, looking for the Lord. <laughs> the Lord is coming for those who are looking for Him. And so if there has ever been a time that, that you should be living your life in fellowship with Christ, looking for Him, well, there's two stories today that you can pair up with the reading of the book of Revelations, and you're like, my Lord, we're so close. It's here. It's right upon us. And... Uh, and so I just wanted to throw those out there. And, and they do sort of tie into what I'm talking about tonight, which is following God. Uh, uh, and the first one I'm going to hit in tonight is in first. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Uh, and then we'll go to first Corinthians after that. But it's about having fellowship with the believers and and talking about the body of Christ and how we draw strength from the body of Christ. Uh, I saw a really good statement as we get ready to read this uh, that says this, those Christians who feel that they do not need, now when I say do not need, I'm not talking about people who are sick or people who are bedridden or people who can't go to church or anything of that nature, but those Christians who feel they do not need the fellowship of the saints of God <clears throat> are extolling themselves in a strength which they really do not possess. Let me say it again. Christians who feel they do not need the fellowship of the saints. In other words, a person says, I don't need other Christians. I don't need to go to church. I can live as a Christian on my own. The author here would say they are extolling themselves in a strength which they really do not possess. And Paul says they're thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to think. So in Romans chapter 12, let's look at that and read through this. And let's talk about the body of Christ and how we follow God by the fellowship with other believers. And, and what is the main theme here as we begin to read this, remember, it's one Christ, it's, it's one spirit, right? It's one body. That, that's our, our central theme. It's one Christ, one spirit, one body. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, Romans chapter 12, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. 
For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For, has, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ. And so that's, his, that's sort of his central point here, is that all together, all of us, compose the body of Christ. And we all have a different purpose, a different office. So he says in verse 6, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. And then he gives some commands here regulating Christian brotherhood. He said, let love be without dissimulation, or let it be pure, in other words. Abhor that which is evil, cleave that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, and in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing uh, instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind, one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. And so Paul is explaining in his writings that the Christians, uh, that we're all part of one body. We're all in this together, if you will. And he sort of lays out the practical doctrines, the applied doctrines of, of living the Christian life together in the body of Christ. Uh, and so as believers, we don't just do our own thing. Uh, we're not islands unto ourselves. We don't exist that way without ever coming into contact and fellowship with other believers. Um, we are members, all together members, of the body of Christ, of the family of God. And the family fellowship that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ is very important in following God. Uh, Paul said, For I say, though the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And as I was studying this, I was thinking about, and I don't know why this came to my mind, but it just kept coming back to my mind, uh, I was pairing the two things together. One is the analogy Christ gives of, of the vine and the branches. And he said, without being attached to the vine, you'll wither up and die. And as I was studying this, I kept, what kept coming into my mind was uh, when people have, uh, when they have an operation, and I was thinking about it both ways. If you have an organ removed, a lot of people have, uh, what is it? It's not their spleen, but... Uh, Appendix, yeah, you have your appendix, and some people have to have it removed. But you, when you remove that organ from the body, it, it can no longer live. It will die it will, because it doesn't have the blood flow. Its, it's life-giving source is gone. 
So when a Christian removes himself or herself from the body, uh, it won't be long before spiritually they will wither up and die. Now, as I said in the beginning, that is not a blanket statement. Some people can't attend church, and obviously during this time we're in, some people for fear of, of becoming sick or things of that nature or whatever. And so some people uh, are at home and have to be home, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who would say, oh, I don't need fellowship. I don't need the church. I don't need this. I don't need that. When you remove yourself from that, uh, you remove yourself from the body. And I was thinking about it conversely. Some people have transplants. You have organ transplants. And they have to look very much into, will your body accept or reject an organ transplant? Well, if you take a person who doesn't know Christ, um, never been regenerated, their mind has never been renewed, they've never accepted Christ, and you place them into the body of Christ, right? it's not very well accepted because it doesn't fit into the body. And if they never accept Christ, you don't often see people come to church that, that they have no part of the body and say, and say, I feel so comfortable here coming to church uh, because it is not the same spirit, it's not the same body, it's not the same mind. And so Paul is saying <clears throat> that a person, uh, you know, ought not to think too highly of themselves, but to think soberly. And, and as God has dealt to each a measure of faith, for as we have many members, but all members don't have the same function. And so that is very true. And so one function is never above another function. The pastor is not above the, the music minister. The music minister is not above the pastor and vice versa for any other gift or ministry in the church. We're all, we're all equal in the body of Christ. We just all have a different function. Uh, I can't sing that well. I can't play that well. There's a lot of things I can't do that well. But someone's got to do it, right? So we all come together in the unity of the faith. We all come together. Uh, so each member of the body will have a gift or gifts from God, which is intended to be helpful to all members of the body. So one person can't say, I have no use or I have no gift or I have nothing that I can offer. Uh, if we're all in Christ, when you come to Christ, the Lord will give you a gift. He will give you a talent. He will give you something that you have the ability to do. And you need the gift that, all, uh, that the other members of the body have been blessed with in order to help you. And they need the gift that God has blessed you with. And so we all need this fellowship with one another. We all have to have that fellowship uh, when we come together into the body of Christ. And so one can't say that I have no gift. I would say, well, then you're not, you're not operating according to the Scripture because the Lord has given you a talent and an ability. You simply don't want to use it. And then you can go off into the gift of the talents, right? And uh, one man had this talent, one had another, one had more, but they were all expected to do something with that talent. They were all expected uh, to benefit and, and to, to give of that. Uh, and so it becomes obvious Paul is talking here about talents. He, he brings up different things. Uh, some things are talents and gifts that we have naturally. And some things are gifts that we didn't have naturally, but the Lord has given us. For example, uh, you have a gift of prophecy. That is not a natural gift. That is a gift of God. Uh, so there are different talents, different gifts. Some are natural, some are supernatural, some are gifts given by the Lord. 
uh, and the Lord gives us these things, ministering, teaching, exhorting. He goes down a list, giving, leading, showing mercy. Uh, all have their ultimate fulfillment in the body of Christ. And so uh, there's a lot of other gifts, and there's some lifted in, listed in Romans 12 uh, are inward virtues, some are outward things, some people are given to hospitality, some are more inward, They're, some people have such a gift of love and mercy towards others, but we all have some kind of a gift, we all have some kind of a talent. Any comments or questions on that right there? Let's flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and here the Bible talks about spiritual gifts, and I'm going to look down at verse 12 through 14. And, as we, and it, he goes through a list of gifts there, diversities of gifts in verse 4, same spirit, differences of administration, verse 5, same Lord, verse 6, diversities of operations, it's the same God. And then he talks about manifestations, but down in verse 12, he talks about the many members, the many diversities, the many gifts, the many different kinds of things. But he says in verse 12, for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And we talk here in verse 13 about how the body is constituted. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, uh, but many. And so he talks about in verse 15 how that one body, that one is, is, is many, but they're all related. And he sort of walks down through the members of the body. If the foot says, because I'm not the hand, I'm not the, of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where, uh, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? And so he kind of walks through that analogy. And then he moves down into verse 21. He talks about the cooperation uh, of how the body cooperates with one another. And then verse 24, he talks about uh, how the bodies are sympathetically uh, related. And so in verse 27, then he starts talking about, however, in all these things, we are all the body of Christ. We're all in this thing together. And so what he's getting at here, he's talking about even though we have all these differences and all these diversities and we all come from a different background, we've all been given these different things, we're all still working towards the same cause because we're all still working within the body of Christ. There can't be divisions, there can't be, there can't be competing interests, there can't be people saying, well, my gift is better than your gift, or your gift is not as important as my gift. And that takes a lot of cooperation, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of walking in the Spirit, it takes a, a lot of uh, walking in love. It takes a, a lot of forgiveness. It takes a lot of patience uh, with one another uh, because we're all different, but we're all in unity of the body of Christ. And I love when we talk about that unity part of it, uh, I love to go back to uh, uh, the importance of that unity. And when you go back to Acts chapter 2, when you read in it, they were being obedient because Jesus told them, go to Jerusalem and tarry and wait for the power from on high. But you also notice that they were all in one accord. In other words, they all had to be there, all in the same mind, the same purpose, waiting for the same thing. And when you do that, 
And when you operate in the love of Christ, there's a lot of power that can take place within that. There's a lot of power that takes place within that unity. And this past Sunday, we saw what can happen when we come together in unity, in love. Uh, we had a tremendous move of the Holy Spirit. We saw Miss Sandra's knee got healed, and we don't know what other things may have come out of that service. That was just the, uh, the demonstration that we saw. But what other prayers may have been answered? Don't really know. But that's what happens in the body of Christ when we come together in one mind, in one accord, with differing uh, gifts that we all have to offer. And Christ moves, or the Holy Spirit moves, right in the very midst of that. And then we see, we see the power of God operate in that. Any comments, any questions on that right there? So even though Paul talked earlier in the letter, talked of several individual matters, he said in verse, chapter 11, uh, since you come together, um, when you come together at church, when you come together in one place, when you come together to eat, unless you come together for judgment. He used the expression, he's talking about us all coming together uh, in the right spirit in 1 Corinthians there, coming together as the church. And further, he called this coming together the church, and he used the word church 13 times in these three chapters. So when we come together in this church, it is so important that when you come in, or when, when believers come in, they, they don't see themselves as just an individual. They don't see themselves as just, well, I'm here and I don't matter and I don't have anything to offer uh, and, and no one cares about me because that's not true at all. When we come together, we're all one body uh, and, and we, all, we all need to, to give and to feed from that. We all have to be that way. I've shared this before and, and I'll share this again. There was a church that, that I pastored and th there were people that had an issue uh, with each other from 10, 15, 20 years ago, and they sat on that side, and you had a group that sat on the other side. And I said, my Lord, we have division in the church, and we have unforgiveness in the church. And how can you expect God to move in your midst when, when you have unforgiveness and when you have division with one another? It won't happen. I'm not saying we all will agree with one another, right? Um, we all have all kinds of diversities. We all like different things, but that's not what we're talking about here. It's saying, Paul's saying in spite of all the diversities that you have, in spite of all the, you may all have different opinions and like different things and whatever. He says, however, there's unity in that we're of one mind and one spirit. In other words, we all agree uh, that Jesus is Lord. We all agree that we need to love each other and be forgiving with one another. That's what he's talking about, right? I like Tennessee, <laughs> I've got people in here that are Alabama fans and Clemson fans and all that, right? And it doesn't bother me if Alabama destroys Tennessee every year in football. It's been going on for a long time, right? I mean, it's, it's probably going to go on for a lot further, right? It's not going to bother me. It has nothing really to do with church, does it? It doesn't, right? Nothing. And so when we come together in the body of Christ, we put all those differences aside and can say, I love you in Christ. I love you in the Lord. Any comments, questions? So the fellowship and coming together in the church is more than simply the fellowship of the saints. Paul said it is the fellowship of the Spirit himself, Philippians chapter 2, 1. So we have the fellowship of the saints. It's the church coming together. But then something magically happens. Not magically. Something spiritually, supernaturally happens. 
we come together and when the Spirit of Christ is there, all of a sudden we're all operating in the same Spirit. It's incredible how that happens. It really is. How that even Sunday, and sometimes you've seen Holy Spirit-filled services that seem crazy, yet but they were all in perfect order. They were all in perfect order. Um, because it's one Spirit. It's one Spirit operating the whole thing. You'll know when it's not because you'll feel it. You'll sense it and you'll say, something's not, something's not right here. This isn't, this isn't the Spirit of the Lord moving here. So Paul says something, something is happening. It's more than the fellowship. It's the fellowship of the Spirit Himself. Since the Holy Spirit is a personal being, that's true. But Paul was going back and addressing, he's saying the person who says, I don't need to be in that fellowship. I don't need to be in connection with that. I don't need to be in that spirit. Um, Paul says, no, that person shouldn't too, think too highly of themselves because they don't possess the power to be able to live on their own by themselves. They need the fellowship of other believers. They need the encouragement of other believers. And they need to be in the midst of something powerful that happens when all the, when all the believers come together in the unity of the Spirit and something powerful takes place in that service. There's something powerful that takes place. I can be in my home and worship the Lord and read my Bible and pray, and I feel the presence of God. But when I come together with other believers, and you have people who have the ability and the talents to sit back there or to, to be on the stage and to play something that is just incredible, and you have singers there uh, that, can, that can just sing so beautiful, and you have worshipers who worship uh, in the unity of the Spirit and in the Spirit of truth. And you have all that take place. There's just something powerful that happens when the Spirit, because the Spirit of God comes down in the midst of that. If you want to look at that a little bit more, go back into the Old Testament and you find that when they all came together, right, and they would worship and they would do it in the way that God would spell it out, God would come down in the midst of that, wouldn't He? It was powerful. And the same thing happens today. The same thing happens. And we saw it Sunday. And so as the believers, as one body, are able to bring their minds together and have the same love for one another and truly become in one accord, then the fellowship with the saints, and here's the word, is anointed in such a way that it becomes the fellowship of the Spirit. And so that anointing that takes place when we come, to, come together in the way that Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 begins to spell out, when we come together in that, we have the fellowship of of the Spirit. And individually, it's our responsibility, right, uh, to let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ. The mind that was also in Christ, that we are to come together uh, in the fellowship of the Spirit. And when we do that, when we come in love, when we look out for everyone's interest, when we're concerned about other people, when we walk, uh, when we walk in the, in the uh, fruit of the Spirit, uh, then, then Jesus is in the midst of that, and it's a powerful thing, the fellowship of believers. Any comments, any questions about that right there? Let me move on, and we, we're going to move on in another study they have in here, and it's talking about life with God. And so we have what, what I just talked about there with the fellowship of the saints and the fellowship of believers and another study that they have in here is called, I Follow God by the Breaking of Bread. And let's talk about that for a moment. Um, I'm going to read through some of their notes, and we want to talk about this. 
breaking of bread. Even though some scholars say that the book of Acts refers to a custom of breaking of the bread that has to do with the household meals at home, we are using the expression as it refers to the service commonly called the Lord's Supper or communion, the Holy Eucharist or the feast. For the child of God, this is one of the most sacred of all services and unites us in communion both with the Lord and with the body of believers. Paul specifically calls this sacrament the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and the communion in Corinthians 10 and the feast in 1 Corinthians 5 and 8. And the word Eucharist is simply a Greek transliteration meaning thanksgiving since Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Paul all mention the Lord's giving thanks when He gave to us the service. Many refer to it as the Holy Eucharist or the Holy Thanksgiving. And this service is closely related to the Old Testament Passover feast Paul said, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And, and we can go back and we look at that story. Uh, on the evening, the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt. God told the people to slay and eat a lamb for each household, uh, or one lamb for two households if their number was small. The blood was to be taken in a vessel and sprinkled over the lintel and on the doorsteps of the house. And God had already said that on that night, the death angel would go throughout Egypt and slay all the firstborn in every house, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the maidservant who's behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the feast. And he told the children of Israel, the lamb they were to eat is the Lord's Passover. Because when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So while Jesus and his disciples were partaking of this Passover meal, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. And we find that in Matthew chapter 26. So in the setting of that meal, there's no doubt as the meaning of Jesus' words, the bread is his body, which is our Passover lamb, uh, we eat it as a memorial for the night of the deliverance when we were delivered from the Egyptian bondage of slavery to sin. It gives us strength to us to make the long journey to the promised land. And so years ago, there was, uh, there was a church. They used to be on television. And uh, they decided they did not want to mention the blood of the lamb or the blood at all in any of their services. I remember this, took, this is about four or five years ago. This is a fairly big church when they had a television ministry. And they just decided we don't want to mention that anymore. Well, as you can guess, um, it didn't take long. And that church, I don't even know if they even exist anymore. At least certainly not in any capacity they existed before. Uh, they felt that the word the blood would be offensive to a lot of people. And so they didn't have communion. They wouldn't talk about the blood. They wouldn't mention the blood in any capacity whatsoever. And, you know, the blood, when, when you sit and read about that, it is, it is uh, an offensive story to read. Of course it is. When you read about the, the, what was done to the body of Jesus Christ, it was broken. And if anybody has watched The Passion of the Christ, I mean, you, you can see graphically what took place. And the Lord instituted that we remember what happened. He said, when you, 
It's a new commandment. He's like, look, when you're going to break this bread, when you break this bread, remember. And he talked about drinking of the blood. And so the blood, he talked about the cup of the fruit of the vine in Matthew 26 and 29 is his blood of sacrifice. And even as we drink it, it is sprinkled over the doorpost of our souls through faith. When the death angel passes throughout the land, he passes over our souls because of the blood. This is the New Testament. It is the New Testament. Jesus became the New Testament. He is the Passover lamb. He is the ultimate sacrifice. And so he wants us to remember that. He wants us together as a church uh, uh, to remember exactly what happened. And so it's the New Testament or the New Covenant that God has made with us through the blood of Christ. And without that blood of Christ, we are not seen as righteous to the Father. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that the Lord, that the Father can view us. Because the same way, and you look at the analogy back in the Old Testament, when the death angel came by, notice the death angel didn't stop at each door and say, are you worthy? <laughs> he didn't stop and say, well, you know, do you think you've lived a good life? Or He didn't go through all that. You simply had the, the blood on the doorpost or you did not. You were obedient to what they, God had told them to do or they weren't. And so when we think about that and compare that into, into today, we either, we either are living under the blood of Jesus Christ or we are not. Right? And, and, and in that, we find protection. We find the protection for our souls by living in the New Testament. A testament or will is the strongest of all man-made covenants. For it to take effect, there must be the death of the testator. Okay? Uh, Jesus was referring to his own death when he said his blood is shed many for the remission of sins. And the word remission simply means forgiveness. And so through the death of Christ in the New Testament, our new covenant, as it is called in the book of Hebrews, has been ratified whereby he said, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so through the New Testament of his blood and the breaking of the bread of his body, we sit at the Lord's table. We sup with the Lord. We eat with the Lord. We have fellowship with the Lord. The Father himself is present in spirit and the Son is present in the broken bread and poured out cup. And in communion with God, we are directed by the Holy Spirit in, in his will for our daily lives. And so when, when we take communion, it is not just, it is not just a, um, a sacrament that is just to be taken lightly. It's not something that we do just because the Lord told us to do it. We say, well, let's, let's, break, the, let's break the bread and let's drink, let's drink the, the grape juice. And, and we have checked off and fulfilled what God has asked us to do. It is not that at all. And matter of fact, Paul takes it very seriously. And if you read his instructions, once he goes through, he goes through how you're to do it, at the, beyond that he says, but let a man examine himself. And so Paul does not take it lightly at all. He says, before you take this communion, he says, examine yourself. Don't take this lightly, but you take this very earnestly. And so be, he's saying that because you are communing with Christ and the Lord is present with us. He's present in the service with us when, when we celebrate that communion. 
And so we are to examine our hearts. We are to examine our spirits. And each time when we have communion, I'll, I'll say, take time. Examine your hearts. Examine your minds. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Because it's, it's, it a, it's a very powerful thing that we're doing there when we're celebrating that, uh, when we're taking that communion. So the partaking of the meal is His will for a threefold reason. First, it's His direct command. Second, as Paul said, when you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you do what? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 26, you eat of the bread and drink of the cup till He comes. Also, we partake of the communion meal. We're giving testimony of our hope in the coming kingdom. And so Jesus said this, in Matthew, going back to Matthew, he said, But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So to drink the cup and eat the bread is to demonstrate our faith that God is directing our lives toward the kingdom of God. So it's not something we should ever take lightly. So as we think about and talk about our life with God, we've talked about a lot of aspects of, of life with God. We've talked about uh, fellowship with the saints. We've talked about uh, reading the Word of God. We've talked about certain elements of prayer. We've talked about how we approach God. So a life lived walking in the Spirit of God is not simply uh, going through uh, certain disciplines, even though they are, they are important. We do need to have the discipline of prayer. We do need to have the discipline of the reading of the Word. We do need to have uh, the discipline of uh, as Paul talked about, of crucifying the flesh and renewing the mind. But they're not, done, they're not done in a vacuum void of the Spirit of Christ. They're not done in a vacuum where we come in here and I just sit in my place and I'll worship here and I'll listen to the words and I have no relationship or fellowship with anyone else. Paul says, no, no, no. He said, when you come in, you become part of the church, but you become a part of something even bigger which is you become a part of the body of Christ. And there's one spirit, there's one spirit in that body, which means I can't have a different spirit, right? <laughs> and when I think about having a different spirit, I think about when I come into the house of God and, and sometimes you go into some churches and it says right above the sanctuary, uh, we come into, the, uh, it's bringing a sacrifice of praise, right? Sometimes I don't always come in and I'm just full of the Spirit and say, man, I'm so ready. Sometimes it requires a little bit of a sacrifice, doesn't it? Because my spirit is not exactly in tune with God's Spirit yet. But if, if I will get my mind right and my, my spirit right and my heart right, then, then, I, then I partake in the fellowship of all that right there. And uh, sometimes I have to do that. Sometimes I have to do it. I say, well, I don't really feel like it today, but you know what? I'm here to worship the Lord and I'm going to do that. Yeah, matter of fact, um, Brother uh, Paul said some people uh, are asleep. Some, some people die because they, they didn't take it seriously. And so you're right, it is a very it's a very serious thing. And the, 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 he, he goes through the reasoning of that. We're not just here in a vacuum. In other words, you can't approach it and say, well, God's not here or, you know, uh, or not take it seriously. So it is something that, and, you know, and the fellowship of the saints is something that is, that is, uh, it's not to be taken lightly. Our, our fellowship with one another, our love for one another, our approach to one another, our forgiveness for one another, our love for one another is not to be taken lightly whatsoever. It is to be taken very seriously. 
And so you're correct when he says examine your heart. He's saying examine everything. And usually I'll add to that. I'll usually say, you know, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about something, please deal with it. Uh, if, if you need to forgive someone, go find them. I mean, I don't, he's not going to mess up the service, my Lord. Go make things right. Make things right with God. But we had, we had communion, and I remember a couple of those times, we had tongues and interpretations, and the Lord said, I am pleased, you know, when, when you keep this commandment and, you know, when you have this fellowship. Uh, very powerful, too. It was very powerful services when we did that. You wouldn't always think, you know, just having communion and doing it that way would result in a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, but it did. It certainly did. Because the Holy Spirit can do what He wants, you know, whenever He wants. So, um, But I, I do appreciate it. When we come back next time, we'll talk about, we've talked about one element of prayer. We want to talk about a little more. And so one of the questions we ask is, you know, as we follow the Lord, you know, it's how do I, how do I, how do I follow God with fellowship in the communion? How do I follow the Lord in all these different aspects? And one of them is prayer. How do I commune with God in prayer? And I really mean this in studying the Bible, at least as far as discipleship, these seem to be the two things that I think a lot of people either struggle with or they don't, they don't put enough effort or time into. And it, can, it really can hinder a walk with Christ and a fellowship with Christ. Um, and that is communing with God in prayer. And I, I don't mean just throwing a prayer out there. I mean, when you spend time in prayer, you feel the presence of God. That is communing with God in prayer. It is not throwing up a prayer. It's not a, it's not a timed thing. But it is actually communing with God and you feel His presence. As you talked about, we felt something. When I pray, and, I, and I'm not lifting myself up to any degree of anything, but if I don't feel that, I think, okay, where, what happened there? Did I not spend enough time? Did, Lord, is there something between you and me? I mean, what, what's going on here? I want to feel the presence of God. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is doing some, some buking here. And uh, he really hits into a lot of things here uh, to the religious people of the day, okay? And he, he's really hitting them on a lot of stuff. We're, we're going to talk about a few things here. Jesus, came, then he came to the scribe, then came to the Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why did the disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they washed not their hands when they ate bread. And he answered and said unto them, why do you transgress the commandment uh, of God by our tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother. And he, he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But you say, Whoever shall say to his father and his mother, It's a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, or honor not his father and mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. And then he calls them hypocrites. He said, Well, did Isaiah. Uh, prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips. But notice what he says, Their heart is far from me. What Jesus is saying is, They're coming to me, right? He says, They come to me uh, with their mouth. In other words, they're praying. They come to me with their lips. So it's not that they're not praying. It's not that they're not putting the time and the effort in. He says, the problem is their hearts are far from me. He says, we got a problem here. He says, this people 
or let me go, yeah. This people draws unto me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. What is Jesus saying here? What is he saying? He's saying, oh, they're following the tradition. They're following what they feel like the religion says. They're following what they, they is, would be a discipline. He's saying, but we got a real problem here because they're not righteous. They're not righteous. They make up all these traditions. He, Jesus said, I say, honor your father and mother, but you got this little tradition written in <laughs> that says you're exempt from it if you do this. Some kind of gift, which I, used to, I studied that one time. I was like, well, that's ridiculous. How does that even, how do you nullify the word of God by something you write into this thing? But that's what Jesus is saying. So he's talking about the heart. Then he goes in, he, talk, he starts talking about the true source of defilement. I just got a few moments here. He calls the multitude. And he said unto them, hear and understand. Not that which goes into the mouth defiles a man, but that which comes out of the mouth, that defiles a man. What's he talking about here? He's saying what's coming out of your mouth. In other words, what is in your heart? He's saying that's the real problem. It's not what you're touching. It's not this religious tradition you put into practice. It's not these disciplines. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? Well, of course they were offended. He called them hypocrites, right? <laughs> he said, You're a bunch of hypocrites. And the disciples said, Well, you made them mad, Jesus. He said, Well, yeah. He said, every, he said, he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father hath not planted, it be rooted up. He said, leave them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. He said, they're blinded. Their hearts are hardened. They're blackened. They can't see anything. They don't know anything. He said, they're blind leaders of the blind. They can't teach anybody anything because their hearts were so hardened. They completely took the Word of God, the commandments of God, and they would misconstrue them. And notice this, and people still do the same thing today. They take the Word of God, and then they construe it to be what they want it to be. Change it around. What do I want? Here's how I feel. Here's what I believe. Now, I'm going to take the Word of God, and I'm going to make it apply to my situation rather than, than crucify my flesh to match up with the Word of God. Ready to close, uh, going back up to verse 2. And, and, and the Jews were asking this, well, the scribes and the Pharisees. You shouldn't say the Jews. That's more of a blanket statement. It's not really true. It's the scribes and the Pharisees. And they said, why do the disciples transgress? Notice they didn't say the word of God. They didn't say transgress the law. They said, why do they transgress the tradition of the elders? Big difference in semantics right there. And what was happening was the Jews held that the writings of the scribes were more important than those of the law and the prophets. Now, don't you think that the people who were over the law and, and, they, and they were writing the traditions, well, it kept them in power. <laughs> and it allowed them to do what they wanted to do. So in effect, what they were doing was they were changing the, the intent of the law and actually, and actually adding to, and Jesus said, it makes the word of God of none effect. And because you've been blinded by it, you're blind leaders of the blind, and there's nothing can happen here. So as we approach the word of God, and, 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 and we do our best here uh, to try to get it right, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, 
I don't know everything in the Word of God, and I certainly can't sit here and, and uh, theologically espouse on everything in the Word of God. But as we approach the Word of God, if we approach it from this aspect, if, if we study to show ourselves approved, and if we go into it with the right heart, which says, Holy Spirit, you're supposed to lead me into all truth. And we go into the Word of God, each individual person and corporately as a church, if we go into it and say, with the right spirit and say, Lord, I want to be right before you. And I want to know your truth. And I want to walk it out. If any person comes to the Word of God, doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter. Doesn't make any difference. Heathen, whatever denomination, whatever tradition you came from. If a person will approach it with that aspect, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. But it's all a matter of the heart. It's all a matter of the heart. And that's exactly what Jesus was pointing out. He said, oh yeah, you pray all right. <laughs> you do all kinds of prayers and, and uh, you do all kinds of things. The problem is you're hypocrites. That was the real issue. So as, we, as we're going to pick up next week on communing with God in prayer, the most important thing, and as Paul pointed it out in our life with God, and even as we come into Holy Communion, Paul said, examine your heart. So as you read, every time you read, every time you pray, when you take communion, when you come to church, be in that same mind frame. Lord, examine my heart. Examine my heart. And because Jesus said it's not, it's not the things you're doing with your hands. It's what's coming out. So we need to be very careful about those things. Any comments, any questions as we get ready to close? God bless all of you. Thank, thank you for being here. I enjoyed the class so much. And, uh, and thank you for sending me the reminders. <laughs> Please continue to do that, and uh, we'll be sure that, that uh, we get that addressed. Thank you so much. God bless.